0: Okay, so we're back with Gabriel Shank over in Oxford, joining us very late there for another uh, look at Philip Pullman's work. This time, we're gonna talk about The Secret Commonwealth, um, book two of The Book of Dust, and um, give some impressions, give a bit of maybe criticism, and our takes on this long and, complica- uh, long and complicated work, um, difficult in some ways, um, but I found it really enthralling and I, I really couldn't put it down. Um, what was your impression when you, when you first got a hold of it and have you uh, refined it at all since then?
1: Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> well, firstly, um, hi, Wesley, and, and thank you very much for having me back on the show. Um, it's always a delight to talk to you about Philip Holman things. Um, and it's a particularly a delight to talk about uh, Secret Commonwealth because we are so up to the minutes um, talking about it. I know you're, St- you know, you're immersed in His Dark Materials, I think, just about to start The Amber Spyglass, if I remember rightly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to be up to the minute. Um, my, yeah, my thought, you know, it's kind of the opposite to what you were saying. I I, I didn't find that I couldn't put it down. In fact, I did put it down several times um, and then forgot about it and then came back later. Um, I kind of... Wished in a way I'd sort of taken it away on a holiday or something like that. If I'd read it on the beach and just sort of forced myself to be immersed in this, I might have had a better time with this. Um, and I should say, firstly um, I'm a huge Philip Pullman fan. I like, it I, I love everything he's written, and I do like this. Um, I do think it's a good book. I did have some problems with The Secret Commonwealth, uh, more so than La Belle Sauvage, although. Um, I have few issues with La Belle Sauvage as well, um, but yeah, the big problem I had was that I did keep on putting it down, and then I and, and then I came back to it sort of weeks later, um, and then picked it up again, and then put it down again. Um, and actually, I think that uh, it, the book suffers particularly if you do that. So don't do that, um, anyone who's thinking of, of doing that, um, because it's it, it, there's so many characters in this, and this, uh, the, there's so much going on. Um, but that's also my criticism. I think, um, I wish it had more of a narrative focus. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if you felt that as well. I, yeah. When I think about
0: what was difficult about the book, it was certainly keeping, not, not necessarily just keeping track of all the characters because you almost don't need to, they come and go so quickly. Yeah. Um, but keeping track of the arc of the story, the shape of what's going on and, and why things are happening. In all the different places where the characters are moving through, um, that was the that was the hardest thing for me, as I was reading the book to um, to sort of make sense of was why 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 are we now you know moving through um, Prague all of a sudden mm-hmm. right? and and mm-hmm. now suddenly we're in Smyrna um, and you jump back and forth of course between um, main characters but also you know you see more of what the uh, villains are up to than mm-hmm. you might be used to. Um, and so, so, there's just a lot packed into it, and I agree that it it lacks focus to a, to a, an extent that i I think reminded me strongly of the amber spyglass actually um the the sort of narrative here moving back and forth between characters um was reminiscent of that book and um so I found that kind of interesting actually as I'm starting to try to think about what's different about the amber spyglass from the original mm. two in that trilogy and so i I mean, trying to get a grasp on what Pullman is up to in each of these books, how he sort of, yeah. you know, takes the same general formula and certain things about his world and then sort of puts a spin on it in each, in each of the different, um, you know, adventures that he goes on there. Um, so maybe that's a way to kind of frame it is like, what's the same about this book and then what's different about it from, from previous works?
1: Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, in terms of The Amber Spyglass, that's an interesting point, um, that there is some similarity there in terms of the narrative focus, although I think Pullman had sort of earned the right by The Amber Spyglass because it was, you know, the thrilling third act uh, in this trilogy. Whereas uh, 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 Secret Commonwealth is technically book two, volume two, sorry, of The Book of Dust. Um, But really it feels like we're starting again because Malcolm's in such a different, point of his life and lyra's um you know clearly (laughs) very much a different point because she was a baby the last time we saw her in the book of dust um in terms of how this fits in with the other books um well uh something is emerging about the book of dust um and i think two things uh, two two ways it differs from his dark materials one is that it's interested in um how uh what happens when people stay put so his dark materials is all about traveling it's it, you, you never really stay in one place for long <clears throat> um you're always sort of going on to the next thing um now there is an element of that in both la belle Sauvage and the secret commonwealth but the first two acts of both books are really set in one place yeah. so you see a lot more of oxford in the secret commonwealth uh, and indeed la belle sauvage although it's a different part of oxford um it's it's you know just outside on the outskirts of north oxford um whereas you don't get that with his dark materials um so much and then the second thing of course is the is the folklore aspect um so with la belle sauvage there was this incredible moment when uh, as they're going down the thames they sort of uh, you know go to this fairy castle and there's all i mean i loved all that stuff but it was so bizarre and it was so kind of thrilling as i was reading it because i was thinking wow this is so this exists in this world um and actually we were back when we were talking about um uh, i think we were talking about the golden Compass and the ghosts in in that book and and to what extent the ghosts actually exist um in pullman's world pullman's other oxford and to what extent they're just sort of made up by lyra well now i think after La Belle Sauvage and the Secret Commonwealth, we know, yeah, ghosts exist in this world and so much more, these spirits in this this world of the Secret Commonwealth. Um, uh, So yeah, so he's clearly continuing with that. Um, He's also, um, you know, for a long time, for ages and ages, um, he he talked about the Book of Dust as um, being the New Testament to his dark materials old testament Mm. and and it it made it sound like he was going to take on the figure of jesus and he was going to do this whole thing about jesus and and i was kind of not so interested in that i thought um wasn't sure how that was going to go and then i think that he got it out of his system when he wrote um the good man jesus and the scandal christ yeah um so there's not i don't think there's a lot of jesus in La Belle uh, Sauvage or the secret commonwealth but there is um organized religion as a force of good so the nunnery and the nuns are good people and then there's this priest right at the end of the secret commonwealth who helps lyra and he's a good person and sort of <clears throat> kind and helps her out um which you know aren't really aspects of organized religion that you see in um uh, his dark materials and, and also, you know, when Lyra puts on the Muslim um, veil and everything, yeah, she, right. it, it's quite useful for her. And she likes the fact that she isn't looked at, which is, the, you know, the whole point of this. Um, uh, and and yet also there's all this, this kind of focus on folklore as well. And you mentioned Prague. I mean, there's an incredible section um, where it just goes so kind of magic realism, really yes. um, incredible stuff.
0: The, yeah, so the in, the introduction of the alchemist in um, Lyra's Oxford, the little book, right? Yes, he makes a kind of cameo appearance here, um, and my my suspicion is that he is actually really important, right? Whatever the alchemists are up to, is is really significant, um, and we might we might wind up seeing more of what that's about. At, I hope, at least at some point, um, that that becomes you know something that we we investigate.
1: Um, well maybe i mean it it, the the secret commonwealth almost felt like a series of short stories stitched together and actually mentioning liars oxford is is interesting because i think malcolm's mentioned in that as well um Mm -hmm. dr Polstead is mentioned um so it's interesting how he's sort of uh, extracting these these characters from from that little story but yeah i mean i i felt that passages of this and particularly that whole thing it's in the kind of the third to last chapter of the um uh, Alice and the bus's secretary <laughs> and they're rescuing Hannah Reef, and, and Hannah's kind of an interesting character but we don't see it from her perspective we see it from this new character and that, that kind of irritated me a bit because like okay we, we, we're supposed to be building to a grand finale and Pullman you're introducing a new character yeah, um, but it would have worked very well as a short story I, I, I felt and, there were, and the, also the Prague um, section I think would have worked very well as a short story so yeah I had some issues there
0: I got that impression, yeah, in several of the chapters. The one that I think of is when Lyra's learning about the trick to making Egyptian eels. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. there's three or four different things that people tell you. Well, If you want to know the trick to making yeah. the secret to making eels, right, it's um, you have to catch the eels when the moon is up. Or, you know, it sort of ties in with that story of the moon that he tells about this folklore of, you know, the moon got caught and buried in the uh, marsh and and so I can see how thematically it sort of works but at the same time there there is a kind of self-contained aspect to some of the um, uh, yeah these these little parts of the story that when you fit them all together well here's one other image is the um, the pack of cards that she gets from the the main the man on the train each of the cards tells a piece of a story and you can lay them out in in any Mm -hmm. order right? And you'll still get to put a story together. Um, it seems to me that maybe Pullman's inventiveness here uh, got away from him a bit and he didn't do enough of the the putting together um, or he left it up to us to put it together. I don't know. That's another way to think about it. Maybe.
1: Yeah. You see, this is something I'm struggling with as well. So um, I think there's, there's two ways I'm, I'm struggling to um, judge this book. One is, um, and I only realized this when I finished it, this is only Hot, hot one half of a story, yeah. um, and I was thinking as we were getting close and close to the end, I was thinking, "Gosh, there's only like a chapter left, but it, <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's going to be resolved." And then it, it has this big "to be continued," yeah. um, well, "to be concluded," he concluded, says. Right. Um, so you know, some of this stuff actually is difficult to judge because maybe the eels will come back to it, and it will all make sense, and <laughs> you know, it all sort of um, tie in together. Um, but the other thing is, I don't quite know what kind of book this is. Mm. Um, and actually some of the issues I had, uh, with LaBelle Sauvage, I have with the book, the the secret Commonwealth as well, which almost makes me think, well, maybe this is all intentional. Mm. So when I was reading LaBelle Sauvage, I was thinking there's an awful lot about, um, screws and carpentry. And I was thinking that, is this going to come back? This is all going to come back brilliantly. It's going to be tied together. And it never was, but there were like pages and pages about this stuff. (laughs) And then again, all this stuff about eels. I was thinking, what's the significance of the eels? Is Lyra going to have to like make some, um, some jellied eels or whatever it is she's eating, but no, there's nothing. But then as you say, maybe that's the point. Um, And then I was thinking, well, what kind of book is this? Because I think this is, quite different from his dark materials i think it's a different genre i think it's certainly for a different audience Mm -hmm. um and there is um and i should you know i should say if this hadn't been obvious already that if you haven't read this book please don't listen to this because this will be full of spoilers (laughs) yeah you're
0: gonna get the eagles all ruined if you read if you hear this first
1: yeah um but um you know there's a you, you know very upsetting um and powerful scene towards the end when lyra gets sexually assaulted um so you know clearly this isn't children's book this is this is a, a quite a different audience um than his dark materials although there is some quite um dark and deep stuff in his dark materials as well um so it's written for a different audience. I think it's written in a different way. I think they both books have quite an odd structure where nothing really much happens for the first two acts. And then everything happens in the third act. Yeah. Um, although one difference is that uh, Belle Savage at least stays with Markham all the way through, yeah. um, which is, I think I prefer. Um, but actually the, the book I was thinking of um, increasingly as I read through it is Middlemarch by George Eliot. And this is something that Bullman has talked about. Oh, wow. um, in his essay, and it's in demon voices, he talks about, uh, realist authors, um, George Eliot, um, and others who he thinks are much better than Tolkien right. and, um, you know, other fantasy writers. And, he, and those are the people he takes inspiration from, uh, and *Middlemarch* um, is, a it's supposed to be a kind of, um, capturing of provincial life. Um, and actually not so much in middlemarch but um in uh, and Bead*, um george eliot um starts a chapter by saying um uh, i can hear the, the the readers complaining um why did not i make this character say something really lovely instead of what the character actually said um but my job as a novelist is not to um make people sound interesting or beautiful or, or fascinating, but to reflect life as closely as I can um, in all its complexities and all, all its disappointments. Um, I, I'm like someone in a court, um, a witness, um, who's having to, to recall events as closely as possible, even though I'm making them up, because um, uh, something that is based on reality, a photograph, is, is, is always going to be more um, interesting um, than a painting of a, a Pegasus right. uh, or something. She says words to that effect. Uh, and Middlemarch is like that. You know, it's kind of, the structure is a bit odd. Um, it's it's quite jumbled up. Um, it begins and then it just ends and nothing really has progressed um, in some ways or some things have progressed, but the, the main character, Dorothea, hasn't achieved what um, she wanted to achieve, uh, but she sort of thinks, well, that's okay because that's not... Uh, that's what life is like. You know. You just bumble along until you die. I mean, you just do things. Um, it doesn't sort of fall into this neat, beautiful package where everyone is heroic all the time. Um, so I wonder if like Pullman's got that kind of thing, uh, that idea in the back of his mind that he's trying to sort of capture the complexity of life and the way that things don't always um, fall into neat packages. And maybe, you know, at one point you get really into eels or um, screws, and then it doesn't go anywhere. But that's okay, because that's what life is like sometimes.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, again, the the image of that for me is, is this, um this work, right? He's fascinated by craftsmanship and work. And we see mm-hmm. that in lots of different little ways. But, you know, making a meal really well, is like, you know, doing whatever the alchemists are doing, which, you know, mm-hmm. has their full attention, and they're doing that as well as they possibly can. And, and that's also like these, you know, researchers who are trying to get to the bottom of what's going on with the roses. Right. And so they make any sacrifice to try to, to find that out. Um, and that seems like, you know, Lyra is presented with th- these different kind of images of, of somebody that she could be like, or, you know, the purpose that she could live for. Um, and she has chosen, according to Pan, at least she's chosen the wrong one. It's like sort of mm. the problem. She, she's lost her, um, her imagination essentially. And um, he, does this very literal thing where he goes and searches for her imagination right to get it back and and that's his his goal. his goal is very yeah. you know active in that way. she, as you mentioned, she suffers a lot she's in some ways much more passive in this book um, she undergoes yeah. a lot of things as she's looking for pan right she 's trying to get back together with him um, and I think you know her her comparison there to uh, dorothea. that that strikes me as being really interesting Um, not least because you know Dorothea is caught in this kind of you know unsatisfying marriage is is a lot of her um, you know a lot of what Lyra is also going through is like a lot of confusion about the person she loves is in a different world and now there's um, there's a lot of uh, feelings that she's confused by um from malcolm right her teacher yeah uh, was and and so so she's like you know moving through relationships in a way that we haven't seen before um because of the you know her being a grown-up now and that's that's also emphasized yeah. from page one um so all of that I, I guess it's hard for me to see a way that you could um convincingly make that sort of a neat and clear kind of story if you're kind of grappling with all all of the uh, you know the skepticism and materialism right. and and politics. It just like he throws so much into this book um to try to capture, yeah. I guess, his version of reality or something like that. So.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and maybe that justifies the fact that we've got kind of those weird stories like um uh Mrs. Coulter's mother and brother, and you sort of see from their perspective which is really interesting, but, I, but it's it really jarring in the narrative as well. And of course, this thing about the versus secretary, um, which I already mentioned, um, maybe it's he thought, well, I've got to throw in all this complexity anyway. I might as well just embrace it and, and just sort of, you know, um, go where um, I'm interested. Um, there's almost something about the alethiometer about it, the way that kind of the needle darts about into different things. And it shows you what you need to know rather than what is easy to follow or what, um, what is simple and sort of satisfying what you want to know.
0: I like, yeah, the, the, the <coughs> thing about the Mrs. Coulter family connection, that made me remember really um, that I need to reread the Sally Lockhart books.
1: Yeah, the, the yeah. Kind of
0: machinations going on with Marcel Delamere are very, you know, um, Sally Lockhart in some ways, I feel like.
1: Uh, it's interesting because I, I was thinking of Sally Lockhart throughout um. Yeah. secret coming off as well but for a different reason um and because of all of the oakley street things and yeah. um, the whole oakley street um subplot which which again sort of seems to belong to a different novel mm-hmm. it's this kind of in fleming spy thriller almost <laughs> um or john lucari maybe um but yeah there's there's bits of that in Sully lockhart as well the kind of investigative um sort of behind the scenes stuff um and which which is also blended with um, you know, the search for the imagination, which is you know very kind of romantic, and, but it, yeah, and and also Lyra's search for nothing in particular, um, yeah. just traveling east, um, yeah. and a sort of a love story I guess, as well, kind of. Yeah.
0: So, so there's these kind of gen- these genre components that are a mm. little bit at odds, and and the thing about the Lithiometer I want to pick up on too is we're, we're told explicitly that one of the new things about this world now is that there's a new way of reading the alethiometer, mm-hmm. um, which makes you disoriented and nauseous. Actually, if you um, mm-hmm. are sort of, you sort of focus on a single image, you point all the three needles at this one image and, and you just sort of um, go on a a mental trip almost into mm. all the possible levels swirling together, surreal images come to you and, you learn things, but it's very um, it's very different from the classical method. Which I felt like the end of the Ember Spyglass left us with a pretty clear sense of what Lyra was going to do in her future, which was you know learn how to read in the in the classical way, right? She she yeah. was left um, with this kind of task, um, which worked really nicely with the innocence experience sort of theme. Um, but this book shows that that is not so cut and dried you know that there's there's sort of more there and the secret commonwealth itself right is sort of the biggest symbol of that it, it, that there's other levels of reality um which yeah. are sort of present but can't be accounted for rationally right you are not going to be able to um pin them down um <clears throat> so i i found that you know this mm. this new m- means of reading um seems to be very much uh, at, at issue here as well.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I, 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 in the uh, the Adam Buxton podcast with Philip Pullman, mm-hmm. um, they they go for a walk in the fields near Philip Pullman's house, and Adam asks him, "Do you ever write out here?" And he says, "No, no, I need to be at home. I need to be surrounded by my books." Yes. And when he said that, I thought, "Oh, like the, people read the Alethiometer," oh. um, in contrast to how Lyra reads it in. For most of his dark materials, where she she just sort of goes into a trance, or she she you know she doesn't even have to think about it; she just knows all the meanings. Yeah. Um, the way that children make up stories, uh, and and Lyra herself as well—you don't have to think about it; you just do it. <clears throat> and then Adam Buxton also asked and he said, uh, you know, you, presumably it's got easier for you to tell stories because you've been doing it for so long. And he says, no, no, it's got harder because I'm more aware of all the different possibilities. And I think this is one of the reasons why he needs to be surrounded by books yeah. um, so he could check different things, um, not necessarily because he actually does need to check these things, but because um, it, it, they, uh, they sort of comfort him um, when he's sort of aware of all the possibilities and all the ways he could go wrong. Um, and perhaps this is one of the reasons why, uh, you know, as an adult, you can't read the alethiometer in the way that you could, Elira could as a child, um, because you're, you're sort of, you're too self-aware. Um, and that actually, that's another thing that Adam Buxton talks about in that podcast is like the moment that as a child, you suddenly become aware of yourself and aware of being sort of embarrassed and conscious of, of how, where do you look and so on. Um, so, uh, so if, if we do sort of map um, these two readings or the ethiometer to, to, to two different ways of writing stories, then this third way is kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, because as you say, it's, it's quite different from being surrounded by stories, but it's also, as a, uh, books, but it's also different from Lyra's way uh, when she was young. Um, and it does sort of map quite nicely with the secret Commonwealth because there is a fixation which is roses. Mm-hmm. It's all about, you know, the rose water and the roses and so on, and rose oil. But um, so you point all the needles to that, um, but then you go on this wild, nauseous, jarring, um, <laughs> confusing ride, which isn't really about roses at all. Um, so presumably, I mean, from, from what I've read from from this theory is that Philip sort of taken some hallucinogenic, Drugs or something. And this is his new way of writing books, and, and um, whilst eating eels, perhaps as well. <laughs> I'm not
0: sure. Yeah. He, well, he um, he's very, you know, creative. I think, um, and hitherto he's always spoken of how he has to sort of restrain himself, right? He doesn't want to go off in all these different directions. He wants to stick to the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he just let himself do it this time. He just said, "You know what? Mm-hmm. I want to go." You know, full just, yeah, full, um, psychedelic mode right now. And, um, and so, yeah, the, the incredible scenes in the, um, the fire ma- the furnace man and his water nymph demon, right. That comes out of nowhere really. Um, that, that sort of, mm. you know, has an incredible force to it. Um, but we aren't prepared for it really at all. Um, and, and it just sort of happens and then it's over and we don't really hear mm-hmm. more about it or investigate it or, I mean, it's just, so there's, there's parts of this that, um, seem to me to be him just sort of flexing his, his, his talents. Um, and there's pros and cons to that, I guess, um, as far as, you know, things that we could hold as, as valuable in a story like coherence. Right. And, um, believability and, and things like that. Um so Yeah.
1: I yeah, I mean maybe, you know, um he's it's because he's older and he maybe he's sort of feeling like why not why not sort of do all these things um because life is short. Um and he has less to prove. Um he's done the kind of the you know the the critically acclaimed trilogy he's popular enough now that people will buy his books, whatever. And and I think editors as well, um, won't, uh, uh don't have much power over him. Um, I mean, the, the question I'm curious about is, is about the, the history of the manuscript because, um, it, you know, for such a long time, we knew he was re- working on this. Um, and it, it made it sa- everything I heard about it made it sound like it was one book because it was always referred to as the Book of Dust, and this is published as Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3. Um, and I wonder, like, did he start with La Belle Sauvage? Did he, and then go on to The Secret Commonwealth? The Secret Commonwealth came out quite soon after La Belle Sauvage. Mm-hmm. It's like only like a, what, year or two? Year or two, yeah. Some, something like that. Um, and I just, my guess is that actually he was working on Secret Commonwealth and the sequel. Um, and then he added La Belle Sauvage as a kind of prequel to those two books. But that's just a guess. That's a kind of a hunch. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. Um, but I, I kind of feel like that's part of the missing puzzle as to why he decided to put all this stuff in. Because you're right. He has been quite restrained in the past. He's, he's talked about you know uh, um, the fact that he doesn't know Uh, Whether demons have sex with each other and he said like if the story required it I would find out but (laughs) I don't think the story required him to find out about um, You know all the goings-on in Oakley Street and and so on Um, but he still put it in because I think he he liked that Um, And in in terms of demons, I mean like demons has an idea. I think it's so rich and interesting, you don't have to do anything about it. You can just have demons, and that's kind of interesting. And you can play around with that. But by God, does he really go into and push? You know what that whole concept could mean in this book. You know, introducing so many big ideas about demons, um, uh, and and people falling out with each other, yeah. which is a way of expressing sort of and exploring depression. And anxiety and self-loathing, but also this stuff about demons running away, demons. There's being a demon black market, demons going to other people. It's like it's incredible stuff because it makes sense, but it's it's also like, you know, it's so huge. Um, I I wonder if
0: in some ways this story was always implicit, though, like because if you think about the rose, right? The roses um, give you this kind of vision, and we know that people have. Been able to have visions because the shaman, right? John Perry or or Stanislavski. Yeah. He talks about having these visions. So where did those come from? What is the emulsion that Lord Azrael used to see the pictures of dust in the first place? Mm-hmm. Right. What did he treat the plates with? And it's it's the rose oil, it seems, or something like it. Um, it's very like what um, Mary Malone discovers in the world of the Mulefa with that that oil from the pods that allows her to see dust. And so there's there's sort of this interest in um you know where where could that have come from what what could i do with that piece of the story right and with the demons too right you know so much of it is about the relationship with one's demon how that changes over time well if you push that to its logical extreme i guess you have to sort of explore so what if you don't get along with your demon you guys grow apart Mm. you know you have different um takes on you know basic metaphysical sort of stance on the world or something like that and so so that you know lyra can be um taken in by these these sort of charlatan authors whereas pan just wants to be out in the night and um you know romp in the fields and uh, mm. talk to the alchemists You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. so so i found that to be yeah um a, a difficult part of the book because you know so much of what we've been taught has been about the closeness of the relationship with the demon and, and how could you ever, you know, betray that. But, but clearly, that is a component of, of yeah, melancholy or depression, um, that that's worth, um, sort of exploring here. Um, and I, so there's twin aspects, right. Of, of sort of vision, um, of, of how you can see more of reality and, and sort of the cost of that, of, of the pain of the suffering of, um, what, what comes with that, uh, I felt that it was always implied in the story, and and is now sort of being explored in in greater detail. I I really like you. I got to the end of the book and I was like, I can't believe, you know, it's just going to end like that. <laughs> I want to know, I want to know what happens. I want to know what is going on in this um, this desert stronghold with Latin guards. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll find out. Um, but I mean, in terms of if pushing ideas, um, you know, it, it's important to remember that pullman who's writing this after the ending of the amber spyglass in which he i mean god is killed um <laughs> you know i mean how do you top that how do you go where do you go from there you god is killed and the afterlife is destroyed yes um and the answer is you well you keep on pushing at other things but but that that this kind of all I whole idea of the secret commonwealth and kind of um things more things existing than we know of and so things existing in the corner of our corner of our eyes and and that there's always going to be mystery in the world and things to discover um whether that's how to create the perfect eels or um or, or kind of you know weird which is absolutely weird stuff like this kind of water nymph demon and stuff that sort of makes you question everything you ever knew um i think you kind of have to go that far and, and and do all that stuff when you've after you've killed God and and destroyed the afterlife because, I mean that that, that that's what people say, isn't it? God is dead when when sort of um, rationality seems to have taken over and that nothing seems to be interesting or mysterious anymore. Um, Pullman, as a as a sort of deep um, agnostic, as a, as a sort of atheist um, uh, or, or close atheist. Uh, still wants there to be magic and mystery um in the world and visions and things on the edge of our vision um you just don't need to have a an authoritative god in order to have all that other stuff
0: yeah that that component of the story um does also seem yeah to be really driving pullman is sort of like yeah what's what's next what can having dispatched the authority um what is there what's out there um to and clearly dust you know has always been his his response to that but but making sense of that in a way um that is beyond rationality seems to be the the task yeah
1: and also that isn't sort of too disappointing and and uh, and yeah rational i mean the the comparison would be the midichlorians in um the star wars series uh, where the force is this exciting thing or mysterious and it binds the universe together and then you find out that you can sort of measure it mm-hmm. um if Pullman, the danger with with exploring dust especially in a whole trilogy is that you just sort of explain it away and, and you say oh you know this is what dust is it's a particle we can measure it Um, the kind of Lord Asriel approach. Um, But uh, clearly, you know, what attracted uh, Pullman to dust in the first place was the mystery of it. Um, Just so implicit in the word dust. And he's, he's really sort of wanting to keep that. And and I I think he is, and also not just to keep the mystery in dust, but to widen the mystery uh, and the intrigue and the magic um, by um, opening up all all these other possibilities as well in the world.
0: Yeah. The, the way that we see, I think, um, Lyra and her demon um, diverge, um, it seems to me that that is the perfect sort of analog for what the reader feels in this book. You're, you're torn, your attention is torn apart. Um, you're feeling for um, all these different characters going through these, you know, unprecedented levels of pain and misery. Um, you also, though, in that process, get to learn more about the world. And I think that, yeah, the realism element is definitely there, right? In, in little sort of moments, um, we are, it's suggested to us that this is actually the truest way to like apprehend reality, is is through this kind of story and these kind of folkloric elements and um, fairy tale or mythic elements too, um, mm. that, you know, clearly it's wrong that um, certain philosophers or, 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 or authors or whoever um, have dispensed with those things, have ridiculed them, have written them out. Clearly, it's also wrong, right, to become a giant pharmaceutical corporation and try to, you know, amass all of the um, the magical things to yourself a- and to make more profit or whatever mm-hmm. it is they're going to do, right? So those, yeah, so those are sort of um, by by presenting them the way he does, I I feel like Pullman is really, you know, goading the reader to um, open up their mind and, and consider, you know, the, the Jackie lanterns, right. And the um, all, all of the elements of, um, of the, the world of spiritual, I don't know, yearnings and mysteries. Mm -hmm. We, we did a reading uh, event for the solstice. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. That I thought, you know what was um what was it the um the story about the the man who can feel his son on his back or, or something yeah that, that <laughs> so that, that out, no end
1: yeah that was the japanese story um nominated by takako uh, uh one of the students at signum university um and it was is sort of sequence of dreams really I as far as I can understand so it's a whole kind of book that's different dreams um and one of these dreams is, is someone dreams that they have a child on their back mm-hmm. and then the child turns out to be a person they murdered um yeah, yeah it's really profound and, and disturbing um yeah and, th- and there's sort of elements of of the secret commonwealth which are kind of dreamlike um and disturbing in in similar ways um, although I was just checking my notes and i <laughs> I, no- I noted down there 's this bit right at the end when lyra 's haggling for um, it's right at the yeah there 's a whole page of this uh-huh. um and and the uh, page or two when she 's haggling on the price of something uh, to be taken to the blue hospital, uh, the blue hotel yes and i just it I just, it really stuck out of me like why would why do we need to see all this? Why do we need, why couldn't you not have written just uh, Lyra haggled with the price? Why yeah. do we have to actually see it all happen? And and again, it sort of goes back to that kind of idea of realist fiction, that sort of George Eliot um, model where you do see things play out because that's how life works. You know, you, you don't just summarize, you don't skip over the boring bits. Yeah. Um, but it's a weird, it's a really weird um mixture where you have that kind of realist approach but you also have um all these fantasy elements um nymphs and jack-o'-lanterns and so on and i think that was one of the uh, the the reasons why i found this book quite um stomach when the stomach churning makes it sound like I, I, I was appalled by it, but sort of um, nauseous. In the, I, felt, I almost felt seasick at times, you know, in, the, in that kind of way that people do when they're reading the alethiometer in the new way. Um, that kind of mixture, not just of genres, but also ways of describing things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And this is with the. Um, ah, this character is so infuriating. Um,
1: yeah. The guy,
0: yeah. Right. Who. <laughs> Who insists on calling her Miss Silver? Yeah, uh, like you know, he can't get her name right. Although he seems to know pretty much everything, actually.
1: Um, well, and- I mean, that that was all a kind of, um, sub- you know, he he was just pretending to be stupid. I think. Um, <laughs> I mean, I I I'm glad it, it turned out like that because there was a point when I was thinking, this is maybe like getting a little bit racist, like just borderline kind of like. You know the the, the kind of um, well, not racist not so much. Well, just a, maybe a, just a bit kind of yeah. The the kind of comedy foreign character in like yeah. a Disney film or something. You know, who who sort of phrases everything in a very archaic way. Um, uh, you know, the kind of like the Arab who's like extremely polite and sort of uses sort of uh, fancy words. Um, and then and then actually, um, he, when he has this conversation at the end with um, Bonneville you realize that actually he's a much more serious and complex character. I mean, th- this is actually one of the things that I think Foreman does extremely well, is conveying character through dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Lyra in this book is definitely the same Lyra from his Dark Materials, but she's grown up. I mean, there have been a good 10 years since we last saw her. Um, and you can tell that from the way she phrases things um the way she speaks and you see that with this character at the end there's a there's a sudden shift in that whole character he stops being this kind of slight sort of stereotypical character um and, and becomes this kind of rather more interesting person but then of course the whole book ends before we can find out more about him though even if the book had continued we'd probably move on to the next character anyway i mean there's so many characters left along the wayside in this story um like that uh, that woman that princess who who Whose demon ran away and she was kind of fascinating. And then, you know, as soon as we get into her character and her storyline, we're we're off to the next um, thing. I mean, I did sort of feel like this book was sort of 90%. One character asking questions to another character. (laughs) And then, you know, that's basically what all the dialogue is. It's just lots and lots of questions and then lots and lots of answers. And then you move on to the next character to ask the next series of questions um there's a lot of background and exposition and explaining um as we go along the way there's a lot of world building as well which is weird for like the fifth book in a in a six book series yeah it's Um,
0: something he it seems like he has has just allowed himself to um play with at this point uh where
1: i mean to be fair we've never really explored lyra's world Mm. before Um, so it, it does sort of make sense and it is, it is almost disconcerting to have all this action take place in Lyra's world when we're so used to skipping between worlds. Right. Um, That, that, that made me wonder about, um, yeah, what, what is Pullman up to here?
0: Like, what is he? So he's clearly self-conscious in a way that he has never allowed himself to seem before, even if he was before he's now sort of theatrically, you know writing in to his book characters reading books that look sort of like reflections of his right, a right. World where nobody has demons right um, yeah. how strange how you know it's such a it's such a popular book um, he he does seem to borrow from you know folklore and um, you know thousand and one nights kinds of stories and, and that whole sort of eastern mm. you know exoticism of a certain time um, he draws that into mm-hmm. his book um, and so, I mean, he seems to be inviting a lot of criticism. Um, I feel like he must be sort of hoping in some ways that people will get riled up about, you know, something that he's up to, because after all he's done, you know, he's done killing God. So he has to find something else mm-hmm. to really, you know, get people, um, emotional about. Um, and that seems to, I, I for me, it worked i don 't know, but you said you put the book down i mean what made you what made you pick it back up? What made you stick with it if it sort of puts you off um, How did you reanimate your yourself to go on with it oh
1: well i mean i couldn 't walk away from it forever i mean i 'm like Lyra and Panta Lyman. you know you can 't you know you have these tiffs, but you got you come back you have this kind of bond that that, that takes you back i mean i i i I, I was sort of in love with the world. And I, and, and I, I say the foreman's very good at, at sort of expressing character through dialogue. He's also brilliant at capturing a sense of a place. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually I found that was another reason I found the the book kind of um, distracting to begin with was because I found it um Uh, he he describes Oxford so in such minute detail that I I, and I know Oxford very well um, and so when he says Lyra walked down this street and then she turned left at that corner and she went into that shop I was thinking yeah I know exactly where you mean and I sort of again this sort of made me feel um, a little bit nauseous in a a kind of seasick way like that I, I can see exactly where you are but I know this is a fictional story and it's in a power the universe. Um, universe. But um, I, I did like it when, um, when she got to sort of these other exotic locations, particularly when she got to the Middle East and Syria. Um, and I thought that was beautifully captured. Um, it, and I remember going to an event um, years and years ago and, and Pullman was asked about travel and he said, um, Uh, I hate travel. I I I don't want to travel at all anymore. Um, Travel is really unpleasant. Um, I hate going on planes. Uh, I I just want to stay at home. uh, And I just want to read. Um, But if you read, then you can travel from your armchair. Um, And that was... so. I I thought there was such a fantastic sense of place in in the kind of the Syria element, uh, the Syria section of the book. And I wonder whether someone who is actually from Damascus or Aleppo or whatever would react the same way that I did um, or even probably wouldn't react in quite the same way as I did to the Oxford section, because the Oxford section is very kind of geographical, um, which makes sense because Lyra knows Oxford. She doesn't know. These other towns, but I did sort of feel like these other places were as authentic as Oxford. Um, But maybe that's because um, I don't know. Did you you find that as well?
0: Well, yeah, I was struck by the the sheer diversity. Is a little bit bewildering um, how many different voices we get and how many different places we visit. Like I said, that made it hard for me to keep track of what we were doing in all these different places. Um, But I definitely felt you know, compelled by the way that they were described. Um, I felt that they were distinct. Um, I don't know if they carried the same kind of awe-inspiring quality that the North, right? The idea of North has such a a sort of... And Chittagatsi for its part, I mean, has a kind of dreamlike quality to it. I don't know if we spend enough time in any of these to develop that sort of feeling. But I think once we get to the desert, maybe we will. And, you know, I, I hope at least that there will be a little more... Um, yeah yeah, sort of digging into what's what's that really like there um
1: yeah 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 because he does do that so well i mean it it is true about the you know this isn't so much the north as the east um and there is a kind of pool there but i agree we don't spend enough time there um something that occurred to me is that there was so the la belle savage was published in 2017 Mm -hmm. um secret commonwealth published in 2019 Brexit has happened in between those two things. And um, The Secret Commonwealth is a kind of Brexit book in yeah. the sense that Lyra's traveling through Europe speaking French. Um, <laughs> and uh, when you were saying about Pullman sort of almost writing this almost in a way like he wants to be criticized or picked up, he's, he's, sort of, he's, 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 uh, he's spoiling for a fight. Um, well, t- Pullman is a bit like that on Twitter. Um, the the oh, yeah. latest story... Um, about my awful country is that we're bringing out um, a special 50p commemorative Brexit coin. <laughs> and Norman has has tweeted that um, it should be boycotted because it doesn't have the Oxford comma, and this has been picked up as a big news story mm-hmm. <laughs> because he's always you know saying something that um, that you know um, makes some kind of statement uh, about politics, and and he has written um, proper political pieces for the Guardian newspaper. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, it, one of his arguments after Brexit was that um, Britain has been facing the wrong way um, for decades. It should have been facing east towards the rest of the European continent rather than across the ocean to America. No offense to you, but you know, it's just these countries are closer. So, um, you know, it's it it, 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 Lyra could have gone on a road trip to America if she'd wanted to, uh, <laughs> or if Pullman had wanted to, but instead she, she goes on a, sort of a road trip through um, the rest of Europe and beyond. Um, So maybe there's a kind of element of Pullman sort of spoiling for a fight a little bit, although obviously he's, he's following story as well. Um, But uh, I I certainly don't think he's, he's got any issues with um, making that connection with, uh, um, you know, what we should be doing and and, uh, where our um, our folklore uh, has roots and, Mm -hmm. um, where where it's natural to to look for adventure.
0: It's interesting because there is a strong element of of the in that part where um, Alice and the Bursar's secretary are are standing up to the CCD people. Right, there's a strong element of like the old laws, like the the rights of um, British citizens mm-hmm. being you know sort of trampled by this power that's coming from Geneva after all, right mm-hmm. from. A centralizing power of European, um, what you know, hegemony or something that they're standing up to, and so you know, it's it's not simply that you know Europe is good, and Britain you know shouldn't separate from it. Um, it's that you know each place needs to like understand what it's really about, and based on a, a kind of understanding of its core identity that isn't this superficial one, but is this deeper, right, in the language, in the in the folklore. From there, you can sort of engage with other places. Um, the way that you know Lyra, um, again, she she meets these different characters from all different places, and in in many cases, she is um, sort of forced to rely upon their help. Um, that that shows sort of the other side of it, right? You need to reach out to yeah. other people and let them sort of offer what help they can provide, because because we all need that. Um, but by the same token, you know she is um inquisitive and um, sort of what you know she the the story really gets going when she um, finds out about the the rose gardens being destroyed from her friends, so she's you know offering that support to somebody else too so yeah, so yeah. yeah I feel like yeah theres there's a way in which Pullman wants to sort of um incorporate political tension and things, but it does always seem to be really grounded in this other mm. thing that's, that's, that's primary for him.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I mean, the other um, section to talk about, of course, is the refugee boat. Yeah. Right. Runs around and, and a lot of people drown and, and uh, the boy loses, I think it's a boy or a child loses their parents. And that's, that's incredibly so difficult and moving and that's extremely topical. Um, not so much in two thousand and twenty, but, um, but but for for years it was on the news all the time about migrant boats um, and people um, drowning, and uh, so that this is you know something that that Pullman is sort of bringing right into the story. And of course, there's these acknowledgements as well. And yeah. um, there are three characters in this novel whose names are those of real people whose friends wanted to remember them in a work of fiction. Um, so Bud but, uh, Schleisinger, Alison Weatherfield. Um, and the third is Nur Huda al-Wahibi, who was one of the first, uh, one of the victims of the terrible fire at Grenfell Tower, um, and and Grenfell is is you know this huge uh, um, political and and sort of uh, social tragedy um, that happened, um, you know, again in, in the kind of the time that the series was written, um, and uh, it, it's something that's still sort of being sort of worked out um in terms of kind of the blame for that and and um and what that meant but but the fact that the, one of the char- one of the characters is named after one of the victims in that in in that uh, tragedy is kind of poignant um although at the same time these other two characters are we don't sort of get that political dimension they're, they're just sort of friends who wanted to be commemorated um So yeah, he's, he's not afraid to go into politics and to go into topical situations, but at the same time, um, he's not limited by them. He's, he's not saying that's the focus. Um, They're kind of almost inspirations for him, I suppose.
0: Yeah. And I feel like that, that context is really important that the, to the extent that he really highlights it, he goes out of his way to say, you know, this is important, please notice this. Um, and, And so he he wants to show us what he's up to with those things at least um he talks about his friend the poet too um nick messenger that uh he he took the the story of the th- the theft of the um propeller right he just took it whole cloth from a poem of this friend of his um so you know there's this kind of interesting mixture of the um the poetic sort of appropriations that he's always done with milton and blake and mm. kleist and everything so he's always taking poetry and now he's sort of taking from real life so to speak too right you yeah
1: know, yeah he, he, he's done that before he did that with Sally lockhart there was it's, he put one of his friends in, in there as well um uh, i mean it, it's interesting when you read back through previous pullman and you realize that actually how consistent he is in some ways yeah um in in Including that kind of thing where he seems to get distracted by something that has no relevance to the story. I forget exactly what the book was called. It was something about um, this guy who worked in Oxford. But there's this whole, I remember distinctly, there's this whole page in it about how he doesn't like hybrid bicycles. He just wants city bicycles. He doesn't need the gears. And it's like this whole page of like talking about gears on bikes that has nothing to do with anything. But it, whenever I kind of come across something about eels or, or um, screws, I think, oh, here we go. <laughs> it's another Pullman rant. Um, but he's, you know, he's clearly interested in it. And I think it, it, the more I read of Pullman, the, the more I think this is deliberate and, and uh, just sort of part of the rich tapestry of Pullman's writing.
0: So, so looking ahead to the third book, then the do you think that the, all the mysteries of the roses will be drawn together into a, a sort of coherent um, you know, this is what's been going on, and here's what we're going to do about it, or is it going to more follow this kind of episodic and freeform sort of path?
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, my hunch is that it's going to be um, tied up to an extent mm-hmm. um, Partly because I think the Secret Commonwealth was written as as one half. I think I think the publishers basically said, "Come on, this is ridiculous. This is seven hundred pages. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've got to you've got to publish this, uh, or cut out half of the book." Um, and he said, "No, I shall never cut out half of the book." And so he decides to publish it. But I think this is one story in two parts. That's my hunch anyway i'm um, based on the fact that this is just building and building and building and then it just ends abruptly and this is to be concluded um however i don't think it's going to be sort of all tied up too neatly um because uh that doesn't sort of seem to fit what we've had before there is i mean we do have a sense of the third book actually um i mean there's two things one is in this um, he says, second um, person who's named after someone he knew um, is Alison Weatherfield, whom we shall see again in the final book. Cool. So I can't, is, is Alison Weatherfield, is she the, um, the Bursa's secretary? I can't remember.
0: She is the teacher um, working in the, in the Middle East who helps so much. Oh, education. yes,
1: yes. When everyone's in she,
0: chaos, she's in charge. She when well, she meets on on uh, Lyra on the boat, right? Well, she meets Lyra after the patriarch is assassinated. There's this this English-speaking uh, woman who who Lyra starts talking to and and connects yeah. with, and then she meets her again on the ferry.
1: Yes. Okay. Interesting. So she's coming back, um, which is quite good. Although I don't think she's the most interesting character. Although I always I I wondered whether there was something there was going to be something nefarious about her. She is a um,
0: little suspicious, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and then there's also some kind of prophecy, isn't there? About um, Lyra is told that she will meet up with Pantalaimon again, but she'll have to sacrifice something before then. Or I forget. Yeah. I think is it the alchemist who says that?
0: Yeah, I think I think that the Alchemists are definitely going to play a bigger role I, in some, like in some form. I feel like mm-hmm. they must come back, and they must be sort of in the background of a lot of what's going on. Um, yeah, it's it seems that they. Um, we'll both get there, right? Pan will go one route, and Lyra will go a different route, and they will. Um, th- that's what the the camel guide too, though, right? The uh, who, who knows more than he's letting on. He seems to know that she's the only one who can get this treasure. It's very, um, right? Very Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
1: well, yeah. Although we don't know what the kind of treasure it is, yeah. Um, but clearly, this is what the third book is going to be about. So, I it seems to me that Pullman knows where he's going with this and it is going to tie together to some extent. I mean the other big loose end is is Malcolm and Lyra right. um, and I was, I was a bit unsettled by that kind of romance storyline um, partly because I, I wasn't really sold by it because we, we hardly see Lyra and Malcolm together at all um, in, the, in the book and they have spent some time together but we don't get to see it. Also it's when he's teaching her and spelling her hair um, which is really weird <laughs> it's just it, you know and i i actually saw some things on twitter about it before i got to that point where a few people who were saying like this is a really dodgy bit bit of the book yeah um and it is a bit dodgy but then i also sort of think like there's an element of um nothing that is human to me is strange in this book mm-hmm. um that anything that you know he's being really honest about human feelings and emotions and stuff and um Uh, whilst I don't think it's okay for someone to smell someone else's hair, I think that's weird, but like, it's kind of knowingly weird. Um, and then there's another actually example of this in in a completely different way. Um, when, um, Pullman talks about Lyra having a period and, um, and this is something actually, I remember kids Johnson, who's a, who's a fantasy author talked about her frustration that in fantasy literature, women never have periods. Um, because fantasy literature is a, is a genre that's obsessed with details about how like armor fits together and that kind of stuff, but women never have periods, and it seems to be like a kind of writing away, or of of something that you know women experience, and you know it's just a, a fact, and um, so there's this kind of like little mention right at the end of like the fact that she has a she has her period and. A, you know, it's it's kind of poignant because it, she's she says, "Well, at least my body's working right. um, in that way," even though she's been beaten up and and bruised and assaulted. Um, but there's a kind of like raw honesty about it. It's like, even though it's not really done in fiction, um, Pullman's doing it anyway. He's 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 talking about and and good for him in that case. I think um, the the earlier bit about kind of Malcolm falling in love with Lyra is a bit weirder, but it's sort of Reminds me of the same kind of thing of like, well, people do do that kind of thing. They do sort of fall in love randomly uh, With people much younger than them even though they shouldn't so there's a kind of honesty to it um, So I kind of get that but at the same time um, it's not really sold to me in the narrative um, because they spend so much time apart. And, and it's like Pullman was, he almost felt like he was trying to make it work with the letters that Malcolm sends to Lyra and Lyra's just sort of like thinking like, oh, maybe he's not so bad and 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 sort of rethinking what she thinks of him. But uh, I'm not really sure how that's going to fall together. Um, maybe maybe Malcolm will sacrifice himself for her or something like that.
0: Yeah, that's so that's how I felt like there was an interesting element of Lyra learning things about Malcolm that she never knew, that he never, you know, would have told her, um, which made it, which sort of planted the seed at least that she could develop some sort of, you know, admiration for him. He really, he doesn't seem to have any other flaws. So the fact that he falls in love where he knows he ought not is Mm -hmm. sort of compelling to me that that's sort of the thing about him that makes him human. Um, Whereas Mm -hmm. he's like this, essentially James Bond, who knows a lot of ancient history kind of Mm. character. He he is sort of from a different kind of book entirely and is just there, um, you know, saving the world. Um, So I feel like he does need to have something more to him. Um, And I don't know that we're given a whole lot between what we see when he's, you know, 10 or 11 in La Belle Sauvage and then to now, like what are his experiences with relationships and you know, why is he still single, I guess? Um, These are questions that I was wondering um, what's going on with him in that respect. He also can separate from his demon. He had that sort of traumatic experience that we're learning is not actually that uncommon, it turns out. Um, So there's that element to him too that they can sort of connect over um, in much the way she and Will could. The one thing I really wanted in this book and I still really want is some kind of account of what Pan and Kiryava, Will's demon, were up to when they were separate, right? That that was always sort of what I expected would be the thing that would, um, you know, lead them to to have some kind of understanding again, Lyra and Pan, is that when Pan would tell her what he was up to, and they they would sort of reconnect over that story, that side of the Hmm. story that was never, you know, because, and they do to an extent, you know. He he sort of talks a little bit about how painful it was for him, but that was always. It seemed to me sort of. It was implied that there was more to that that they learned something while they were apart, and, and maybe they did right. They went to this place because she has these like sort of vague memories of, of going to the um the rose garden in the desert. So I'm not sure if that will come back in, um, and if you know,
1: that's some element. Yeah.
0: Woman's holding back for now, but. Yeah. It's
1: definitely been hinted you're right i mean i i, I something i felt uh, was an absence in in the secret commonwealth was just any any um any thought about the afterlife um yeah. because no, they know what happens when you die and whenever someone dies in the secret commonwealth i thought oh They're going to speak to the harpies now. They're going to have to tell a story, and the story. And if they the harpies like the story, then they're going to be able to go on, and all the atoms will dissipate. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But the other thing about the afterlife is that demons don't continue. Right, right. So, which which I find really chilling, and and sort of makes this whole thing about kind of how you you can be separated from your demon in real in in this world. Um, Sort of all the more chilling is in that you know there's this idea that you're going to be together forever but lyra knows that when she dies she will be alone mm-hmm. um <clears throat> pantalaimon won't come with her for that brief moment before she um turns into atoms and all the atom all her atoms have to be entwined with will's atoms or whatever it is that that very <laughs> kind of um uh bronte-esque um oh, Heathcliff gosh, yeah. and kathy kind of um ending uh and it just, it just seemed weird that for a book that has a lot of deaths in it, um, Lyra wouldn't ever sort of think about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also a, a book that is all about kind of demons and humans being estranged. She wouldn't think about the fact that actually uh, the bond isn't supposed to last mm-hmm. um, forever. So um, I don't know. I, I almost think that Pullman was sort of not really wanting to refer back too much he wants to make this series an equal rather than a prequel or a sequel. Um, so maybe that was one reason, and maybe that's also a reason why he doesn't sort of go back to that moment when Pantalaimon is is alone, um, and the, the shores of the Dead. Although having said that, he does bring Will into this quite a lot mm-hmm. um, to a point that I was a bit distracted by because I kind of thought, well, I get that they were in love when they were 13. But it's like when I was 13, I was in love with, you know, <laughs> i don't know some celebrity or something um you kind of think surely she'd be a bit over it now like a little bit and i get that they like they were really in love and they would they went through this huge thing but then she's still like dreaming about him all the time and she like when she sees i think bonneville or someone she yeah. thinks it's uh, it's will and and so on um and will is a kind of weird kind of ghost in this story and i saw something on facebook today actually Um, which is a which was which was about this kind of rumor that i'd heard that pullman envisaged um a companion book about will um that he was going to have lyra's oxford yes uh which is uh a red book Mm -hmm. um once upon a time in the north the lee scoresby book which is i think a blue book and then he 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 always said i know it's going to be uh a, gr- a green book or something like that. that. He had a sort of colour in his head, and I think he re- he said he was going to be about Will. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if we ever get that story, um, because I well I don't know. I mean, Will and Lyra's story seems to be in at an end, um, but he's Pullman also seems sort of unable to let go of it completely, and he's he's sort of present in the Secret Commonwealth in a in a weird kind of way.
0: I yeah, I, I was thinking about that the little green book that he has talked about um, putting together at some point. Um, I, I wonder, I'd I really feel like Lyra's Oxford plants or sort of begins a lot of these threads of story. Um, and the whole, the whole idea that there's this little um, paper from a, a, st- uh, a cruise ship, right? And it's got this pencil mark on it to meet at the cafe at this particular time on this date. Um, that's, that's in the, Lyra's Oxford materials that you get at the end, right? Those things that have moved through the mm-hmm. world, and so that that whole you know move go to the east sort of story is just sort of encapsulated in that little um, bit of paper, that scrap of you know advertisement that um, someone has written on. And so, so yeah, so I think I think that if if there is a little green book about Will, it's it's probably pretty significant for whatever is happening in the background. Uh, of this story too um yeah and i'd be curious yeah how how that could be woven together um without wanting too many more stories you know
1: right and also if he does write a little book that's set entirely in our world whether he makes that kind of as magical and mysterious as he's making lyra's world um because you know whenever we went into will's world it was always kind of a contrast to everything else like jitter and lyra's world and um, the only thing that was kind of magical about it really was the fact that other people had come through from other worlds or or there were doorways to other worlds. Um, uh, although I suppose what Mary Malone was doing with dust and computers was a kind of yeah. playing around with that. The You know, you, you could, there was a kind of mysticism, but it is still done through computers. So there was kind of made mundane, but it would be interesting to sort of explore that a bit more, especially in the context of the book of dust where he, where he's really pushing the magical elements of that to see whether he would like to introduce that to our world or whether our world is just, um, you know, doesn't have those elements at all. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I, yeah, I feel like
0: there is a whole, I mean, there's a whole esoteric, uh, teaching buried in this. I feel like that um, we'll never really get to the bottom of, um, himself may you know, be at liberty to dis- disclose too much more about it than what he's done so
1: well i but I, mean, I, d- I don't know if he he has firm set opinions about it i yeah. think um he's quite open to ideas and um is continuously rethinking ideas and um is sort of fascinated by these concepts rather than sort of thinking right this is this is what i think yeah. um but, but I agree that you can certainly, certainly draw a lot out of these books, and particularly The Secret Commonwealth, even though I struggled with it, even though I have some issues with the narrative, uh, I think it is probably the most interesting of the, the, the now five novel series mm-hmm. um, uh, and the most um, potentially, perhaps p- potentially in some ways the best, um, that I could go back to it 10 years later and, and, think, yeah, no, this was, this was the book that I struggled with, but over time I've come to really appreciate, it. or maybe not, maybe it, maybe it'll be my least favorite. Um, I, I, but it's certainly the most interesting, um, in terms of kind of what it contains and how much it contains.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you chatting with me again about Pullman and his worlds. Um, this uh i think you know aside from analyzing the poem about uh roses we we pretty much touched on yeah
1: yeah i i hadn't, hadn't even begun to think about that the the only other thing i wanted to say really quickly was um there was a kind of weird moment um in uh this book with um the, the, the way that Lyra goes to this cafe in the covered market, because that that's like literally my favorite place to go in Oxford. It's called Brown's cafe in our world. I forget what it's called in Lyra's world. It's called like gyms or something. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a weird thing. So I, I, this is my favorite place to go to eat. It's this kind of what I call a greasy spoon cafe. Mm. Where they, they serve like, um, full English breakfast. And, uh, I always have double egg and chips. Um, but uh, they do jack potatoes and stuff like that. Um, but it's uh, it's kind of hearty food. It's sort of like the British equivalent of an American diner, you know, the, where you get stacks of pancakes and that kind of thing. But it's it's the British equivalent. And it's a great place for like people watching and it's in the covered market, which is quite a nice sort of area of Oxford anyway. You get really good tea in this place in, in Browns as well. Really good loose tea, even though it's really quite cheap and cheerful. Um, and then just opposite is this amazing shop that sells uh, coffee beans and tea leaves and stuff and it always has this amazing smell as soon as you step out of browns you get the smell of the coffee and the tea and this is all exactly captured in the secret commonwealth so i think this was another re- reason why i I'd struggled and i put this book down and then came back to it it's because a, a i've been waiting for this book for so long and it was just so uh, overwhelming emotionally to read about lyra again mm-hmm. And B, it was just kind of this thing where I was like, wait, but not only is it that Lyra is an adult and I'm reading her story and I'm getting updates about the story that meant so much to me for so long, but she's in my favorite place to eat in Oxford. <laughs> it, yeah, it was weird. It was a weird moment, but I, 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 over time, I think I'll love it. And next time I go to eat there, I think, you know, oh, Lyra used to work here when she was younger in that parallel world and if Lyra was here, she would probably like to meet here as well and talk to her friend about roses or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, it's
0: so cool. Yeah. See, these are these are aspects of the story that you're privy to that the rest of us just we I mean, we might be able to sort of feel how how at home, you know, Pullman is in that place because of how he writes, but it doesn't doesn't connect with something that we've actually experienced in quite the same way.
1: Yeah. I was walking past a pub um, just a few nights ago on um, Broad Street. And I think it's the pub that Lyra goes in when she talks to like a friend of hers who she's sort of like, it's sort of like her, I can't, I can't say the, uh, the, uh, the, the proper term for this but it's like her, <laughs> her sex buddy let's put it that way which is i mean that's also weird it's like i feel like we could take like any like five pages from this and just talk about it because it's like so oh. full of like interesting ideas but anyway um i think it's i think if i remember rightly it's the one on broad street that she goes into and then she has some badger beer and i remember going i haven't i've never actually been into that pub but i walked past her the other day and thought about lyra um but last time i drank in you know, an oxford pub Uh, I asked for badger beer, but they didn't have any, but um, it is a local beer that she drinks. Um, Um, So if you want the complete experience, you can go into that pub. And (laughs) I I don't know if you can get badger beer there, but clearly... um, Pullman, you know, has a favorite pub and a favorite cafe and a favorite beer. He puts it all into the story, along with um, names of um, people who who want to be commemorated. Um, So, yeah, what, what you said before about kind of that mixture of fantasy and folklore with the kind of mundane, everyday items and objects and people. Um, is certainly true as well as throwing in all these genres and all these plot lines and characters and, <laughs> and, and um, modes of storytelling and narrative focus and so on so it's a, it's a hell of a book
0: yeah
1: yeah it's making me want to start it right over again at
0: the... <laughs> um, yeah i'm definitely looking forward to the conclusion as well and um yeah whatever have else... you
1: read um the collector's I think it's called.
0: I listened to it a couple times, but it's been a while, so that's like a little I, black book almost, you know. Yeah, because it's book.
1: ebook only. I think yeah. I didn't realize it was an audio audio version as well. Okay, yeah. I, I need to check that out because I only found out about it when we did our Sign, um, signum University Secret Commonwealth thing, and I was oh, yeah. doing research on the series, and I completely missed it before. So um, that's another companion book I I need to read. It's another
0: very self conscious one too, and it okay. it makes me think like there's these books that pullman i think i've talked to you about this before pullman has these books he wrote when he was younger that are impossible to find now and i I feel like he's sort of playing with that in a way too like um you know collectors of his books are in some you know respect um the object of his uh his mockery there or something like that Um, right
1: yeah i mean on this list of it, it, the, the works by Philip Pullman, it says selected works by Philip Pullman. It still takes up the whole page. Yes. This is my edition of the Secret Commonwealth. Um, and um, yeah, the collectors isn't on there. It uh. just says his Dark Materials companion books, Lyra's Oxford and Once Upon a Time in the North. Um, huh. But uh, yeah, he's written a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he has these two books. One is called Galatea and one is called The Haunted Storm oh effectively... The
1: Haunted Storm is on this list? Uh, it's on the list okay
0: they're both yeah. effectively impossible to find so Sorry. if you ever see one please please get it and tell me what it's about.
1: oh yeah Ga- Galatea is on here as well so it's wow. The Haunted Storm, Galatea, Count Carlstein, How to be Cool, Springheel Jack, The Broken Bridge. I've read The Broken Bridge yeah, yeah. Um, I, but I think these, um, Count Carlstein I used to think was his first book. No. Well, there's
0: um, two other books that are out there somewhere so Someone's i think he said
1: count. he said that it's his first book but it's interesting actually that 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 they are included on that list yeah. well maybe it's not such a conspiracy maybe they've just gone out of print maybe he wants people to find them and he wishes they were back in print i'm gonna i'm gonna look them up now i'm kind of curious see, if be you fascinating, can fascinating to read the first ever published philip pullman and see yeah. if there's anything in there that, that we've been talking about but wouldn't it be amazing as well if you if you read it and then there's like this kind of a mention of dust or something it's like yeah. he was planning it all along <laughs> and then you realize no it's just it's just a different kind of dust yeah but you, well, you never know that might be the secret for you know pantalimon might get mentioned or something like that this it is the key yes I, so there's <laughs> your
0: homework i'll, I'll continue my <laughs> researches into the amber spyglass and um, my, my careful reading and um, yeah. Thanks again, Gabriel. It's been a pleasure as always. Oh,
1: thank you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure um to talk to uh, to someone about Philip Pullman, and it's also fun talking to someone in the other side of the world. it almost feels like you're in a different plane of reality, like where you know I'm I'm in Lyra's world, maybe, and you're in uh, Will's world or Tristichardsi or something Ooh. like that.
0: Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, until next time, take it easy. Thank
1: you very much. Yeah. Have a good Have a good evening, and uh, I, I look forward to your future episodes. Thanks. Okay. Thanks then. Bye-bye.